Welcome, Bulldog basketball fans, to episode two of the Drake Basketball Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Eduardo, and I'm Tucker. Um, so let's let's dive into this. We're coming off of the Drake-Miami game. Uh, Eduardo, how are you feeling? Oh, man. Great question. Uh, super frustrated. Uh, just very disappointed, to be honest. Uh, and just so everyone knows, this is... This is live. This is raw. We Tucker and I have not discussed the game, so this is our first time that we're we're going through this. I guess I guess the first thing I'll say is the the reason why I'm so frustrated is after going through that game, you just know you blew a huge opportunity. You know that I think I'll, I'll say that, and uh, I'll ask you the same question. How how are you feeling? Deflated. I think that's the word that best describes really, I think the whole fan base right now, just these opportunities come along so much more infrequently for mid-majors than they do uh, for fans of your typical power five schools. Um, You know, we we're always fighting off the various transfers, um, Mm -hmm. all the things that can go wrong uh, when the odds are stacked against you in the college basketball system as they are. And when you have a season like this, uh, where you have all of the pieces you need to make a run and you're matched up and against an opponent where you control the game for the majority of the game um, and then let it slip away late. It's, it's awful. Like this, this for me was worse than Western Kentucky in 2008. Yeah. I was going to ask you that because I, I became a Drake fan the year after that, because that's when I started going to Drake in 2009 So I didn't get to experience Western Kentucky, but I had that thought after the game where it was kind of like, this feels worse because you, you dominated. I shouldn't say dominated because you controlled the game. And because to me, it was so evident that Drake's margin of error was actually really substantial. And that's, that's what frustrates me because sometimes like take, Take the Golden State Warriors, for example. Sometimes it's not about can you beat a team. It's more so how much stuff has to go right for you to win a game or to beat another team. And for Drake, they had, obviously, and we'll get into it, Tucker has the worst game of his life. I mean, that's not an exaggeration, at least the worst game as a Drake Bulldog. Um, You have a free throw disparity where Miami shoots 21 more free throws than you do. You struggle with the press a little bit. And then even still, you still should have won the game. And that just shows you the margin of error. It wasn't this, hey, everything has to go right. You have to hit 23s. You have to do this, play out of your mind. No, you just you just needed a good game. And that would have been good enough, to be honest. Well, and you touched on two of them there with Tucker going one for 13 from the field, uh, you know, one of 11 from three. Um, And then obviously you have the foul disparity. But one thing that people haven't been talking about much is the fact that Garrett Sturts, who is, I mean, the heart of this team, he's the school's all-time leading rebounder. He's Mr. Clutch. He's Mr. Tough. Um, He comes down with, I've heard food poisoning or just illness. I'm not sure which it is, 
the day of the game and he's limited to 19 minutes. Mm. He gets one rebound, he gets two points. And in a game like this, where they're pressing, guys are starting to get a little bit shaken, not having him on the court was just devastating for Drake. So I had not heard that. And I can say that that definitely wasn't mentioned in the broadcast. Um, I think everyone assumed that it was just Sardar was hot and that they just kind of played him more, which would make sense. But I did wonder, like, why wouldn't you go to a lineup that featured Sertz and Sardar, especially when Tucker was struggling a little bit and and Darren Debris didn't really do that. Uh, but I guess you're answering my question. I, I wasn't aware of that for Sturts and and that and that sucks. But I I, I want to ask you because several of my several people have asked me or have have commented on Tucker DeBreeze's game. How 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 do you think he played and what would you have done differently? I guess if you were Darren DeBreeze. So the thing that stood out to me um, in the game was that. He was, and it's hard to say settling when you're such a good three-point shooter, but he was settling right. for threes. throughout the game. Um, you'd see him, he'd get pretty good looks. He'd launch from three. Uh, they just wouldn't drop. But if you look back at the season and the types of shots that he get, yeah, he shot a ton of threes. But especially when they weren't dropping, they would get Tucker isolated in that short corner of the post, and they'd have him go to work around the basket and hit that mid-range jumper. And mm-hmm especially when you look at the foul disparity, Tucker does a pretty good job of drawing fouls around the basket. You know, I mean, he's, he's not the most athletic in terms of elevating, but he uses the ball fake so well that he gets guys in the air, he goes up and then he goes to the line if he doesn't drop it. And Mm -hmm. the fact that he only took two shots inside the three point line really, really stood out to me. Um, And obviously Miami, with the length of their their wing guards obviously probably made it tougher to get those those entry moves and made it tougher on him to get to the spots that he wanted to be in and jim laranaga knows his game as you know as well as anyone scouting him um and i'm sure that they made that point of focus but uh that to me stood out as an area um that we could have could have gone to more and didn't yeah no doubt i mean i think so several people told me I would have benched Tucker DeBreeze. I, I don't agree with that. I think when you look at, I know he was one of 13. Uh, I felt like out of those 13, there were probably three or four bad shots. Uh, the rest of the shots were shots that he would typically make or take. You know, you might see a 30 foot three and you're saying, what are you doing? But then again, he pulls up in Valpo's gym and you don't know, bat an eye, right? But I agree completely. The part that I was frustrated with is I don't know why we we didn't we didn't try anything different to try to get him going towards the basket. Yeah, aside from you know trying to isolate him uh, in the short corner, which is kind of a go-to ISO play for Drake. Like you could have tried him as a roll man. You could have tried to get him like at the elbow, just something where you're you're just trying to get something going to the hoop. You know, I, I kept saying to the people I was watching the game with, you know, why isn't he rolling to the basket? And another thing, and and I'm not just putting it on on Roman or Connor, I I felt like we just didn't give him the ball in good good spots. You know, he's struggling, he's not finding his shot. And then, 
you know, Roman would pass him the ball with two seconds left in the shot clock and he just has to hoist it. You know, like that's not that's not going to get your best player confidence. You know what I mean? Um, so I I wouldn't have benched him. I don't you know, could you have maybe given a couple minutes here and there to Connor or something like that? Sure. Uh, but you still need him out there. Right. Yeah, he's your best player. You absolutely don't send a player of his caliber to the bench. I mean, that's to me, that's silly. Um, and especially, I think another thing that makes it more difficult to make those adjustments in game is even though one player might be struggling when you're up for the majority of the game, like Drake was, you just always have this feeling. It's like, OK, we're, we're in control of this game. If we can just have a few shots start to drop, we're going to be fine because he was getting decent looks. They just weren't going yeah. in. Yeah. I mean, even even the last shot at the end at the end of the game, wide open three. Like how many how many of those threes have has Tucker hit this season? Like curl comes curling, gets it at the top of the key. Mm -hmm. I mean, he missed that by an inch, you know, like it it was a good look. It doesn't go down. But let's I mean, let's talk about the last five minutes. The I was so frustrated. Uh, Drake's up eight. Uh, this I think that's like the seventh time I, I've said frustrated. We we might need to keep a count uh, for the podcast. Drake's up eight, and they've reverted to let's just dribble for 30 seconds and hoist a shot. See, like that to me was the thing that lost them the game. You know, the press, I mean, I think it was two turnovers that led to points. Uh, like, yeah, that sucks. But the end of the day like okay you had a couple turnovers it, it was why are you just not running your sets kind of keep the flow going instead it was let's just eat some clock and maybe we get lucky and roman ho hoists one at the end of the shot clock and it goes in yeah roman's consistency throughout throughout his time at drake um i think uh almost hurt us a little bit here because we're so used to him bailing us out i mean when you look at the end of game situations, um, you know, Coach DeVries put such trust in him. Uh, he's He knows that he can cross a guy up one-on-one -on -one and hit that 17-foot jumper in their face with the clock expiring. And when you can do that with such consistency, mm -hmm. it it gives you the option to waste, waste clock time, let it run down, especially with a lead. Um, but against a team like Miami with such good defense, um, who's really trying to push the pace and come back, it led to them being the aggressor and us just trying to run out the clock, which is something uh, come tournament time that you see in a lot of mid-major games versus power five schools when they get the lead. Um, mm -hmm. I think you see a lot of times um, mid-majors are like, all right, we're up. Let's just try to hold on to this. And typically that's when the comebacks occur because they're no longer doing the things that they did to get them in that position in the first place. Yeah. And and you know to your point because I mean it has to be said Tucker has a really bad game Miami played a role in that for sure I mean they they did not give him anything inside the arc at all and with Roman you know he did hit a couple jumpers but instead of the typical 17 18 foot jumper that Roman hits at the end of the shot clock it was 21 feet it was 23 feet it, it was just their length and just kind of defense pushing him back i think again i mean it's always you always have to look at the things that you could do better obviously but miami defensively was pretty solid you know it wasn't a great 
offensive game for Drake by any stretch. Um, yeah, and I mean, Eduardo, I'm going to have to rely on you at times throughout this podcast to give me um, a higher level breakdown of things because as a lifelong Drake fan, uh, in person for the first time for an NCAA tournament game, I wasn't able to make it to the COVID NCAA tournament and uh, I was already out of state on a trip when they made it to Tampa in 08. Just being at the game, I was just overwhelmed. Things mm-hmm. flew by at a pace. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, it flew by for sure. I mean, you're amped up like you you you're amped up to make the tournament, and then you make the tournament, and then you're just waiting for Friday. Uh, the game flew by like it felt like a 20 minute game, you know. You're and every possession matters. Like I think, yeah, it's 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 tough, you know. It's Miami, which by the way, you know, we we mentioned. I just mentioned Miami's defense. Drake's defense was outstanding. Like a a plus game like sure you 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 like a couple threes for poplar uh i think you know what that actually bothered me more than the breezes missed threes it was he let poplar have a couple good looks at a three um which i think he ended up making three threes uh so that that was frustrating but we also held wang in check right wang in check come on like acc player of the year like that's incredible yeah, uh, you can't say enough about how good the defensive game plan was for Drake in this. Uh, Larinaga, who's coached in the ACC now for God knows how many seasons, said that Drake was one of the best defenses he's seen. Um, they had to make a bunch of halftime adjustments to try to score. Um, he said he switched to their their offensive game plan uh, against Duke at halftime because what they had mm-hmm. wasn't working. and. Obviously, uh, Coach DeVries had the team extremely well prepared f- for this. They led their, held their leading scorer, Isaiah Wong, to just five points. Um, yeah. The leading scorer for them this game was was Nigel Pack. And as you and I said in the last podcast, coming from Kansas State, he was going to be ready for Drake, and he absolutely mm-hmm. was. Um, I know. And, yeah, the, the job on Isaiah Wong was awesome. Uh, I thought Drake's, Drake – very clearly their game plan was pack the paint force them to shoot threes over you and hopefully those are pack and poplar taking them which credit to them they made several of them um it's just yeah you can't the five minute stretch to close the game is painful um but we also have to talk about the free throw disparity yeah and Tell me, yeah. walking from home, you know, I'm in person. I don't have the best angles yeah. and everything. There were definitely a few plays that stuck out. One where they called yeah. a foul on Enright when it looked like he was in perfect position with his hands up and off of him. Yep. What did the free throw disparity look like to you? Were they missing a lot of fouls on Drake? Were they calling a lot of fouls um, on yeah. Drake? You thought looked like they were in good position. What happened? Yeah, I, it's it's a little bit of both. And I, I don't want this to come off as a ref rant of oh the ref screwed us over and blah 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 i i think what happens sometimes is these calls add up throughout a game right you know miami gets a call underneath the basket you know gets bumped okay two free throws then on the other end drake doesn't get it and you know throughout the game the these add up but I'll, i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you two stats that you're not gonna want to hear regarding the free throw disparity number one is you you maybe might have guessed this was the biggest free throw disparity in the tournament 
no other game has had a bigger disparity. So 21 free throws, Miami shot 29, Drake shot eight. The only other closest is the Xavier Kennesaw State and the Michigan State USC game where the free throw disparity was 17. By and large, when you go through every box score, it's basically like pretty close to be quite honest. And and I hate I hate when people say, you know, free throws should be about the same. That's never really going to be the case. Like there's always going to be a team that's more aggressive. To me, Miami was more aggressive. They did a better job getting to the rim. The free throw disparity should not have been 21 free throws. And and that's what like it's it's very frustrating. The other stat I'm going to throw out at you, Drake only committed 19 fouls or I should say Drake committed 19 fouls. I shouldn't say only because that's a pretty decent amount. 15 of those 19 fouls are shooting fouls. I mean, that's wild. Like more than three quarters of your fouls are shooting fouls in a game. I mean, that's really tough to overcome. So, yeah, the free throw disparity was evident throughout the game. You know, I pointed it out multiple times throughout the broadcast with the group of friends that I was watching. It was just Drake wasn't getting some ticky tacky calls that Miami was. Um, And they add up. Yeah, I, I pointed it pointed it out on Twitter. Like Roman, we're down two, comes comes off a curl, and his progress is impeded very clearly. Like it's a foul. They don't call it. You know, they just let it play on. And then DJ misses uh, a little the little hook shot in the lane, and then Miami comes down and hits a free throw. Uh, but what what's your reaction to all of that? Well. My reaction is another question for you. So that's obviously an insane number of shooting fouls to get based on your overall foul total. Right. Why do you think that is? Did it look to you like are the are the Miami players particularly good at selling contact? Uh, was Drake just being too physical on their shots? Like it's yeah, it's the when Miami was really struggling. Uh, you know, they came off. They started out, I think, oh, nine or some something like that. Miami was doing a good job of crashing the boards and then just trying to go up with it. And that's where they picked up some free throws kind of early on. And then second half, Drake got in the bonus. And then it seemed like every little bump was getting called. Like, yeah, like I said, I just I felt like some of the little bumps were being given to Miami and then Drake's in the bonus. And then that means shooting foul. And it wasn't being given the other way. Um, And that's what's Again, it's just, it's annoying. And it's, I want to be very clear, that's not what why Drake lost, but it's another thing that you have to overcome, right? Like, how how is it, like, Miami was not 21 free throws more aggressive than Drake. I mean, I can guarantee that for sure. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, they were hitting the glass pretty hard. Um, it's interesting because I know you and I listed board count as one of the key factors in this game coming in. Um, mm-hmm. Miami had lost in the seven games they lost this season. They'd lost the rebounding battle in six of those seven. And in this game, interestingly, um, at least offensively, we controlled the paint. Like Brody was absolutely destroying yeah. them on offense. Brody cannot get enough praise for having. He, um, he was the best player on the floor. I mean, yeah, by far. Brody dominated. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I mean, I'm glad you said that because we're we're deep into the podcast and we haven't mentioned uh, some of the positive things <laughs> that Drake did. 
which I guess uh, is hard to do when, when you blow an opportunity to beat a team like Miami. Uh, Brody was incredible. Like, truthfully, his best game as a Bulldog. Um, and Miami, like you said, they I think they ended up winning the rebounding battle by six rebounds. So, I mean, that's that's not... It's pretty even. I, th- throughout the course of the game, I felt like Drake actually did a pretty good job rebounding the ball. It was more so they had one offensive rebound, and that hurts. I mean, it was one and done literally every single time except for the one offensive rebound. Um, so I think that hurts. You know, if you get five, six offensive rebounds, you know, again, these are these are possessions that you just you have to cherish. <laughs> you know, you, you had that empty stretch. Uh, they basically had like three possessions towards the end of the game where they just didn't do didn't run anything. You don't get any offensive rebounds. You have the turnovers with the press. Again, the turnovers, nothing crazy. You know, twelve turnovers, just a little bit above season average. Um, so again, you know, they didn't turn over the ball a lot. They rebounded okay. You know, pretty pretty good. Um, so yeah, you, you realize the margin of error, man. That's that's the thing that's frustrating yeah so let's take a break from the tears and switch over to cheers um huge huge round of applause for darnell brody 20 points nine rebounds absolutely dominated miami inside uh consistently when we were struggling uh with with our ordinarily very reliable um scorers and other facets of the game brody just came down time and time again and carried us uh Another shout out to Sarnar Calhoun. This guy, I can't say enough about his ability to come through on big stages. You had the Mississippi State game earlier this year where he lit it up. And then against this ACC champion, Miami team, Sardar had 12 points going four for five from three in 27 minutes of play. He, he was, was awesome. Huge. He was absolutely huge. Absolutely. Sardar and Brody were massive i mean i by by the way i I thought roman played pretty well too i mean i think he i think the length bothered him um but i thought he he also had his hands in a lot of really good things that drake was doing uh but yeah sardar calhoun he was just in control he was in rhythm like every shot he was taken was he had full confidence in uh yeah big game sardar and his defense was good too yeah. I thought he did a really nice job on some of Miami's high scoring guards. Um, yeah. Great job on help defense, active hands. Um, so, yeah, just that's the sound of me applauding. I know. I know. Can, uh, can I give you a little quick rant on uh, the TBS broadcast? Hit me with it. So, as you know, I watched this game from home and uh, I was – I was disappointed with the level of uh, research and just some of the narratives that the TBS crew uh, were spewing throughout the game. Uh, So it was Spiro Didis, Deb Antonelli, and AJ Ross. So so everyone knows who we're talking about. I would say that for every seven comments on how poorly Miami was playing and how shocking it is that they were playing poorly – there would be one, oh, but, you know, Drake's doing a good job on defense type comment. So the entire game was framed as we cannot believe that Miami 
is like choking against this unknown mid-major. That was kind of the narrative. And the comment that annoyed me the most out of anything in the entire game. And I want to make sure I get this guy's name right. His name for Miami is Jordan Miller. He he was being guarded by Garrett Sturts. And Sturts played pretty decent defense. And I think Jordan ended up settling for like an 11-foot little push shot that goes in. And Deb Antonelli was just like, oh, well, that is such a mismatch. You know, you got to take advantage of that every single time. And I'm like, do you know who you're talking about? Like, I know that you're seeing a 6'3", white, 170-pound guy. But she just went off on like how this was a huge mismatch and there's no way that Drake could could sustain that. And, you know, that's a horrible mismatch. Um, This guy had seven points, by the way. And the guy and the play where she was freaking out about this being such a mismatch, Garrett Sturts didn't let him take a three. He didn't let him take a layup. He made him make this contested push 12 foot, 11 foot shot over him. So that bothered me. Just do I expect the TBS crew to be super well informed on NBC basketball? I don't, but it just sucks because, again, these opportunities to be in like a national stage don't come like that often. And so it was it was annoying that they just they didn't really know a whole lot about Drake other than, well, this guy, Tucker DeBreeze, like he's supposed to be scoring 20 points. Like, where where is he? That's kind of their extent of their knowledge of Drake. Yeah, that sums up exactly why I feel so frustrated about this game. Because from a casual basketball fan's perspective and from a, apparently a, a casual announcer's perspective uh, for Deb, it's, yeah, Miami played a pretty close game against uh, their 12 seed. Yeah, must have had an off game. But game one is expected when, uh, you know, fans of Drake, people who've watched Drake all year, know that if we play this game 10 times, I genuinely feel like Drake can win this six or seven. This That had we played an average game for Drake here, we win. Um, I think this roster was good enough to upset Indiana in the next round. I think they were sweet 16 good. If they happen to have a performance in the sweet 16, like they did against Bradley, they could have been an elite eight team. Yeah. Man, it's a, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, and like you said, there's these opportunities just don't come that often when you're a power five team. It's very difficult to miss the tournament. You almost have to try to miss the tournament. Uh, you still had people lobbying for Oklahoma and Oklahoma state late in the year, basically being 500 and, winning like a quarter of their games in conference. Uh, but if you're a mid-major, you have to work really hard to get to the tournament, you know? So, yeah, I mean, do you want to jump in and talk about what next year is looking like? Uh, or maybe tell me a little bit about how was how was Albany? How was the, uh, the Drake support? You could hear it in the broadcast. I will say that. That was the best part of the broadcast. You, you could definitely hear the Drake contingent every time. Okay, good. I wanted to ask you if that came through because Drake, I feel like the Drake fan base is unique and that we were awful for so long 
that it has whittled down the fan support to the absolute most loyal diehards you can imagine. And now that they've found success again, we're starting to branch up and build off of that. And so what you have is this hyper-dedicated fan base with newfound enthusiasts. You have uh, you know, some people in our, our, our age bracket, but you have more than uh, coming up below that and more people from the Des Moines community that are engaging with Drake basketball. Um, and at the game, it was very clear that Drake fan support uh, was a lot stronger than Miami. Um, I don't know what the numbers are, but the Drake fan section uh, was on its feet the entire game. They were chanting virtually every possession. Um, and I think, you know, it, it really says a lot for the Drake fan base, uh, how well we represented in Albany, um, which is a perfectly fine city. <laughs> but super uh, hard to get to from Des Moines. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, flew into Boston, then rented a car and drove three hours uh, to Albany. Um, shout out to Brian Harden and everybody in the athletic department. They had operations on the ground running like a well-oiled machine. We had a, a fan bus to take us from the hotel uh, to pregame party at a local brewery and then over to the uh, arena, MVP arena. Uh, it was great getting to talk with a lot of people. Some I've only met online. Um, Dolph Pulliam was there. I uh, got to chat with him some. He was very excited about the direction the Drake basketball is heading. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, Albany, Albany was a lot of fun. I, I love it. I love it. And, you know, to your point about Drake fans, like the amount of people who have reached out, you know, via social media after we dropped our first episode. I mean, it's it's pretty wild. And it just shows like people want to they want to fall in love with drake basketball you know what i mean <laughs> they're ready you know they've been they've been wanting a winner and uh coach the has has built that uh, the last five years um but let's talk about what's next what does next year look like and of course for us now we got to worry about who's leaving who's coming in what's the status of coach and son debris what are what are your thoughts yeah, so I guess first off, if and we'll have a separate episode breaking down uh, incoming recruits, but just from a very high level, we have uh, Chico Johnson, who is a four-star who suffered an injury, um, but hyper-athletic dude, um, committed to Drake, coming out of, I can't remember the name of his high school, but excited to have him on. And then Kevin Overton out of Sunrise Academy in Wichita. This dude is... I'm the most excited about him uh, that I've been about a recruit since Tucker DeVries. He can score at all three levels. Uh, he's hyper-athletic. He's just an extremely good basketball player, um, and I cannot wait to watch him. So outside of the recruits that Eduardo mentioned, uh, we now face what many mid-majors face when they find the type of success that we have found, which is mm -hmm. waiting to see if another program is going to come along and offer to uh, help your coach win the lottery. Right. Um, on, on Twitter, you've seen rumors at this point, just swirling rumors uh, of schools like Notre Dame uh, being interested in Coach DeVries. I don't blame them. I think he's one of the best coaches in the country. Um, but I, I do think that Drake has a very unique appeal for, for Coach. He 
spent 18 years at Creighton. He applied for Drake three times. And finally, we were smart enough to hire him. Uh, and I know his his whole family has really found a home here in Des Moines. The community has embraced them, and, and we love having them here. I know, man. I, I've been seeing some of the bus. So the two, the two that have come out that maybe have a little bit more legitimacy, you mentioned Notre Dame. That scares me a little because it seems to be the type of job that he might be interested in right if you're talking about like a power five school kind of seems the same type of profile of schools that he's been in and i actually think that tucker probably fits him pretty well in Notre dame like his his game would adapt pretty well too so that that one scares me a little bit i think some people were refuting you know how how valid is is the twitter account that put this out yesterday on saturday i should say uh, so hopefully not too valid and 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 maybe that maybe there's just a little bit of smoke on that the other one is wichita state which is hilarious um i guess <laughs> if uh coach debris leaves us for wichita state like what can we do right like that program has been on the decline ever since greg marshall left after all of his allegations um it's been a they just haven't been very they just are not very competitive i mean for him to leave for Wichita State, then that just shows you like he really doesn't want to be at Drake. And yeah, of course, they would pay him a crap ton of money. And if that's the main reason, then yeah, I mean, we can't we can't keep him. I think last I saw, I think their head coach was making like three point five million a year. And Darren DeBreeze makes, I think, a four sixty five K, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, I get it. If someone offers you, you know, seven times your salary, would you consider it? Yeah, I guess. But. It'd be it'd be really depressing to go to Wichita State. So about that number, um, yeah. I know Drake is a private school, so there aren't actually figures about uh, what he makes exactly out there. Yeah. From people that I talked to semi recently, it's higher, and I think that okay. may have been renegotiated during uh, the the extension that he signed. Um, gotcha. Couple of years back now to stay the coach at Drake yeah. through 2029. So I I do think they gave him a pretty substantial raise um, along with the extension. No, you're right because you know they the, the rules are a little bit different for a private institution and that might just be the last known reported number. Um, but yeah, Wichita State. How would you feel if he goes to Wichita State? Uh, confused. <laughs> It'd be very confusing. It'd be very confusing. Because as you said, uh, traditionally, when we've talked about uh, potential suitors for Coach DeVries, it's always come down to Iowa and Creighton. Iowa, because he grew up in neighboring Applington. Uh, His brother, Jared, uh, who I got a chance to meet at the tournament, great guy, um, played football at Iowa, was an All-American there. Um, So you've got that. And then you've got Creighton, where he spent 20 years of his life. Uh, being a coach. And there are a lot of reasons why I could understand him being attracted to either of those two openings, but Wichita just makes zero sense to me. Um, I, I agree. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And the, the irony is that the Wichita fans on Twitter think that's not a good enough hire. 
they think, you know, they should be getting Coach K out of retirement or something. You know, that seems to kind of be the the de- delusion uh, of some of the shocker shockers fans on Twitter. Resurrect John Wooden from the grave and, you know, wheel him in there. <laughs> Everybody. Oh, man. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, they're they're a down program in a dying conference. Mm-hmm. Their best schools are leaving. Um, and I just I could very well be wrong on this and feel free to make fun of me on Twitter if that's the case. But I I just don't see coach um, just taking the money grab to go coach against Eastern Carolina in the mm-hmm. American Conference, which in all likelihood won't exist in five years. Yeah, especially when you have like two clear cut better teams in your conference already. I mean, Houston still in the tournament. I mean, Samson, we all know his uh, his track record, but I think in today's day and age, I think that track record doesn't really matter anymore. Um, so so maybe now you see why why they're having a lot of success um, with NIL and, and other stuff. Uh, Houston's a great program. Memphis has been really consistent as well. So it just it doesn't make sense. It just it doesn't. Uh, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, yeah. But now we go ahead. No, I was gonna say now we also got to worry about are there any other of our players that are gonna go? Most yeah. like, most importantly, Brody. Like, what's Brody's future? I think. Uh, if are you talking about this in conjunction with Devries or separately? No, just separately. I mean, like, yeah, I think especially the way he played uh, against Miami, he's going to have uh, people in his ear um, trying yeah. to offer him. Uh, big NIL money, if I had to guess. I do know, um, especially um, at, at Drake, they've formed the Do Great Collective, which is yes. EU uh, Great. I'm a supporter. I encourage anyone who's listening to go support it as well, because we need to do everything that we can to not only attract great players to Drake, but to keep the great players that we have currently at Drake. And I know Brody loves it here. I talked to both of his parents at the tournament. Uh, you know, they said he loves it at Drake. They were thrilled to be there watching him play in the NCAA tournament. And so I think DeVries is great about attracting people who want to be there for the most part. We've had Joe Yesifu and Liam Robbins, Robbins, who both left. But outside of that, he's recruited great players who bought into the culture that he creates and the university as a whole. So as long as we do our part to to give them the base level of support they need, um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Brody's back next year. I, I hope so too. And if, if Brody's back and we assume that the, the breezes, the Debray are back, um, then you have Brody, you have the MVC player of the year, you have Connor, you have hopefully Nate Ferguson, and then you have a couple big recruits coming in. So, I mean, definitely look like poised to compete for the MVC title again. If all if all goes according to plan, but again, all Drake fans will be uh, monitoring Twitter. I can tell you that the 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 next couple months. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other name that I heard associated with those two openings was Matt Langle from Colgate. I may have mispronounced his name. Um, yeah. If he is indeed involved, I'd just like to let the Notre Dame AD and uh, Wichita State's AD, who are both avid listeners of the podcast, uh, know that he has uh, a lot more experience than DeVries, 12 years as the head coach at Colgate. 
been to the NCAA tournament. Four of the years, um, barring the COVID year. <laughs> Won the Patriot League regular season title five years running. Are you kidding wow. me? Who wouldn't they, want that guy? They need to hire that guy. You know, oh. I think they shouldn't. They shouldn't overthink it. You know, go with your gut. It's Colgate guy. Mm-hmm. Just roll with that. Yeah, I like it. it. Minty Fresh, get that guy in there. <laughs> Just imagine what he could do with Wichita and Notre Dame's resources. Oh man. Um, so I know we wanted to to talk about the seniors, obviously that are leaving. Um, we also have to mention more March sadness, which was the Drake women dropping their game on Saturday night uh, to Louisville. Uh, so by the way, I, w- I want to start off by saying I've I've gotten asked several times uh, by people if uh, we're going to be covering Drake women's basketball. The answer is. Yes, we'll cover it, uh, but we feel like we are not that we're the experts in Drake men's basketball. Clearly, we are, um, but we feel like we don't follow it enough or as well. So we don't want we don't want we don't want to just be covering Drake women's basketball for the sake of covering it. I think there's other people, other fans that follow it follow it more closely than than we do. Uh, I did go to about four or five games of theirs this year, so I do follow the team. Uh, I was a Gray Squad member of the team for three years when I was at Drake, so I just want to throw that out there. So, in case people are wondering, you know, we'll we'll talk about them obviously when it's an important game like last night, Louisville. But again, just uh, more crushing sadness uh, for Drake fans. Uh, Louisville five seed uh, coming into it. ACC is loaded in the women's game, uh, so Louisville's a really good team. Uh, Drake. I thought played pretty consistent for most of the game. You know, the turnovers killed them, uh, more than 20 turnovers in the game. And the other thing that, again, just hard to overcome, uh, Maggie Bear, just just a bad matchup for her. And she had a really tough time uh, scoring the ball. She ended up fouling out, you know, five points, six rebounds um, when she's a 17 and eight. That was her average. But they were right there. Um, they had a shot, you know, the N1 at the end uh, for Louisville kind of killed them a little bit, but I mean, heck of a job by coach Pullman. I mean, honestly, I think nobody expected them to be back on top in the MVC so quickly. And I think you can already make the argument that this was the best Drake has played in the women's tournament. Uh, gosh, probably since early two thousands, I would guess, uh, Jenny, unfortunately, never won a tournament game uh, even though she did an incredible job but but what were your takes i know you were watching there uh, towards the end of the game yeah i uh, i flew in um from boston relatively late so i literally caught the last two to three minutes my only observation was something that i texted to eduardo which was i asked him if continuation was a rule in the women's game because i genuinely didn't know i know they they uh implement some more NBA rules in terms of four quarters, advancing the ball at timeouts um, because uh, Drake had fouled a Louisville player very clearly in advance of her beginning her shot motion. And they, they gave her an and one. So I was, I was very confused. (laughs) Um, Yeah. In a key moment of the game, I think at the time Drake was down one with about 15 seconds left. And that ended up being uh, an and one uh, for Louisville. Uh, So again, just killer. Uh, when you're when you're trying trying to extend the game, even then Drake had a really good look at a three to tie it, and it just it didn't go down. Um, I know I talked about Maggie having a rough game. 
uh, Katie, I, I always butcher her last name. I think it's Dinabir. Uh, I, ho I hope I, I got it right. She was awesome. 20 and seven, uh, just super aggressive. Uh, 11 free throws in the game. Like she was just attacking. Uh, she was terrific. And so was Graceberg. Uh, just shout out to them and Anna Miller. Uh, just Drake was, again, like similar to the men, like taking a really good ACC team down to the wire. Uh, and the women, you know, kind of, I wouldn't, the thing that was different with them is it didn't feel like, oh man, we just blew the game. Like they were neck and neck the entire game, trading shots back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And they just couldn't hit that three at the end. Yeah. yeah just uh, another tough loss to, uh, to the ACC, unfortunately. Add it, add it, uh, add it to our tab, you know, it's uh <laughs> March sadness uh, for Bulldog Nation, but I I like I'd like to say though like the women have consistently been a more successful successful program than the men. I mean that's pretty obvious, but I just like that now we're comparing the success based on how far how far are these two teams going in the NCAA tournament, which is very cool as opposed to before it was well the the men made it to Thursday and. I like where the where both programs are headed, is what I'm saying. All right. Well, uh, yeah, let's close this on a high note, because as disappointing as the last few days have been, let's not lose perspective on the fact that this was the, I'd say, the best Drake men's basketball team in my lifetime and the best Drake men's basketball team that we've had since the Final Four team, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And people might think that's hyperbole, but it's not, you know, <laughs> you can literally count in your hand the the number of times Drake has been in the tournament in the last 50 years. Right. Yeah. And ap apologies to anyone out there uh, who's screaming. What about the Elite Eight teams? Um, yeah. I wasn't around to see it. I could very well be. <laughs> they might take uh this year's team to the woodshed i don't know but <laughs> at least in terms of teams that i've seen this one by far uh right. takes the cake for uh, best coaching best roster so thank you to roman penn garrett sturtz dj wilkins who am I yeah. that's those are those are the guys that oh sardar sorry i know he yeah. was only here for a year but again had obviously had a significant impact uh, on the team and in and, and the one season uh, he had left of eligibility. Yeah, can't can't thank him enough for taking a chance on Drake coming here and, you know, winning a series of big games for us. Yeah, no, and, you know, Roman, DJ, Sturts, and certainly now Sardar too. I mean, it's the end of an era and as a Drake fan, as I, I know I said this the past podcast, but I never thought of Drake before as even being in the tournament. And they've now made it the standard that this should be the expectation um, that a top four finish in the Valley is kind of the bare minimum. Um, and it, it takes time to build a program. You don't do it overnight. Um, and it, it it's guys like that. Um, guys, I think when you're a mid-major, when you're a program like like Drake, guys that maybe weren't the highest recruited or someone didn't really give them the opportunity that they needed, 
And that's where Drake and Garrett and Roman and DJ were kind of a match made in heaven. Um, I think they all would tell you that they were overlooked. Drake didn't overlook them. They didn't overlook Drake. And in turn, it became a really uh, productive last four or five years. Four years, I guess, for, well, for DJ, five. Uh, Roman would have been four, right, if I'm if I'm getting my math right. Um, COVID years uh, get, uh, get uh, blurry in my mind. And then Garrett, I mean, like, I don't know. There's never going to be a player like Garrett Sturts at Drake. I mean, just what he does every single every single game i it's uh it's kind of the fundamentals of the game at its finest and i just wish we would have gotten sardar for more than one year uh because he fit in seamlessly yeah um i don't even know that it's it's a matter of whether we'll see another player like garrett at drake it's a matter of whether we'll see another player like garrett period Right. Show me, show me a a six three guy who's a program's leading rebounder, um, who was a walk on, who doesn't shoot threes, but goes to work in the paint against guys that are four inches, fifty pounds heavier than him. Yeah. He gets gets the, the toughest assignment. Players. Yeah, and then takes on the toughest defensive assignment yeah. at the time as well. So. Thank you guys. You've meant a lot to me, um, my family, Eduardo, all of us Bulldog fans out there. Um, we've been, enjoyed watching all of you over these past few years and uh, can't wait to see where the future takes you. I know. Yeah, for real. It's been, uh, it's been great and it's bittersweet because now a new era of Drake basketball is going to start with all those guys leaving, but Hopefully we have the the breeze backbone of both uh, Tucker and Darren to to continue building on that. But I think that's part of uh, what we'll be keeping an eye on. And and like you said, we'll be dropping a pod uh, talking about what next year looks like a little bit more in depth. Um, don't know exactly when, but that's obviously in our plans and also planning on having some guests on uh, probably in the next few months or so. Yeah, stay tuned. We've got uh, some exciting commitments from guests that all of Bulldog Nation will know and I'm sure love to hear from. Uh, so stay monitoring your your podcast app or Drake Nation or wherever you uh, you see podcasts dropped. I know Eduardo is our official Twitter representative in terms of social media. So be watching his feed. Set your alerts. That's right. You know, and and again. Thanks, thanks to everyone who has reached out. I really do appreciate the support, and I hope that our our breakdown of this can can give you can give Drake fans, Bulldog fans, just uh, an outlet to vent um, of what what March Madness uh, has been like for Drake on both the men and the women's side this year. But go dogs! And now I'm gonna go pretend that the tournament is over. <laughs> All right, let's go Bulldogs.